Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Nice to see everybody. Want to join us in worship this morning? With God's the love of the world. Jesus is waiting, God. 
so love the world. All right. You may be seated. Good morning. God so loved the world. Amen. Amen. Um, got a quick few announcements I want to get into uh, real quick. Uh, it's so good that, you know, God's bringing us, bringing us new people, it seems like, every week now. And uh, he is so faithful. Um, and uh, just to ensure, to let everybody know that we're trying to be um, good stewards of what God, God gives us out on the visitor's table outside as you, as you came in on the right, um, there are financial statements for the month of January, and we're going to start putting them out so members can go out there. We want to have an open book um, just to ensure that, that, that we're, doing, we're being good stewards of what God has given us. Um, and that'll be at least quarterly, right, Tommy? Then we're going to put them statements out at least quarterly. Um, so, And if you ever have any questions about finances or anything like that, feel free to talk to your deacon. And we'll convey it to Pastor Frank. Um, I passed out some letters this morning to some of those. So uh, feel free to call me or my wife, and, and we'll get back to you or and, and uh, put everything to the side and try to answer your questions. Um, keep Miss Sheila in prayer. Sheila Smith um, with the with COVID. Um, Adam, she's back in the hospital. Okay, admitted. So, uh, okay. Right, I mean, uh, there's power in prayer. And it's important that, uh, that we stay in, in prayer and supplication for one another. Because, I mean, we ain't always got to know uh, what you want each, each one of us is going through, but we're all going through something. And uh, just keep lifting each other up. It's so important. Um, to do that, but there's other positive things going on in, in the church. Uh, we're gonna come alongside of Joel, like we've done in the past, partnering with him and the youth that he works with uh, through his basketball program. Um, a lot of their tournaments this year are gonna have to be away tournaments, so uh, there's gonna be opportunities for us to uh, make bag lunches, stuff like that, so they'll have bag lunches to eat when they go away. Um, so we're going to be doing that. I think he's also going to start a, like a tutoring program to help out some of these young men and uh, these kids. And there's Joel, uh, about a tutoring program for, with your basketball program for some people that may want to come along and, and help out on that end. You want to speak on that a little bit? So just, just real quickly, guys, this uh, remote learning is what they call it. <coughs> it has been devastating on our kids. So just, just, for, just for reference here, at West Brunswick High School, which is probably about 2,000 students, so they don't know where three to 400 kids are. Let me say that again. They don't know where three to 400 kids are. They, don't, they haven't logged in, and they have not come to school. This is not unusual. This is what's happening all around us. 65 to 70% of all our kids in Brunswick County that are remote learning are failing a class. Regardless of, it is not just low income or whatever, it's, it's kids across the boards, kids who've been on the honor roll, straight A's, A's and B's are failing classes. 
because they're not getting the social interaction. They're not log. They're expecting these kids to log into a computer, stay engaged for seven, eight hours a day. <clears throat> so what we want to do with our program is, is we want to partner with these families and provide tutoring services to these kids who are not getting their work done. And as a aspect of our program, you have to be passing your classes to play. But we're not just telling them that, we want to partner with them. And guys, it's a great opportunity. Um, our program, if everything goes like, it, like it's going, we're going to have nearly 100 or more kids in our program. And we have a, kids from the third grade all the way up to the 11th grade. So we normally have one team per grade. And uh, it's a great opportunity for us to be involved and engage. Uh, Billy's talked about, guys, when we go on the road, and we're just going to North Myrtle Beach this weekend, next weekend, but a lot of these kids are sent that entire weekend with nothing. No jackets, no snacks, nothing. So it's a great opportunity for us to reach out and help people. You want to help people? There it is. There it is. Like I said, we'll have uh, <clears throat> um, nearly 100 kids in our program once we get everything uh, launched off the ground. So there's a great opportunity for us to engage with people and families and really know these things. Like, just a, guys, there's a lot of people in need. <clears throat> and um, anyway, so like Bill said, next week what we want to do is be able to provide some bag lunches. And uh, I like to put some tracks in those, by the way. Um, information about our, about our church as well um, so that they can, it's an opportunity for us to share the gospel with people too. All right. So thank you. For those of you who don't know me, I am Joe Arbus and that amazing woman in the sound booth back there. I am smartest person I've ever met in my whole life is my beautiful wife. That's exactly right. And so the, uh, we are restarting small group, not this Tuesday. The following Tuesday, we'll have brochures next week with our address on it, 630 to 8, 830. The focus of the small group is prayer, praying for each other, praying for the world and the church and, and so forth. And we will also be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So please consider coming. Everybody is welcome. Fill our house up. Uh, so we're going to get started with that. The plan is to meet every two weeks on Tuesday night, 630 to 830. Not this Tuesday, the one after. So there's a lot of things kicking up and, and, and to get the ball rolling and starting to see the light at the end of this tunnel that we call this pandemic COVID-19. So it's important for us to start getting ramped up, getting prepared. Um, you got to sow the seed in preparation for the rain. Amen. So uh, we're just going we're just to start ramping up. Like with Joel's basketball program, my football program will be starting off in August. And then we go from uh, seven-year-olds up to 13-year-olds. Uh, so that'll be coming on down the line as well. So and do we have any praise reports or, or prayer requests? <laughs> Brother? Lisa's mother passed away. Yeah, she, she had a brain injury or an aneurysm. I'm not sure which brain, but it was unexpected. She went to see him. And uh, Lisa's grief devastated. So certainly keep them, keep them lifted up in prayer. Okay, amen. Anybody else? Yeah. 
Yeah, I made mention of that just uh, when we came on. Um, Carl and Joe Tyner as well. Kenny Oliveira, Miss L. Oliveira. Um, all our church family that's uh, not in attendance because when one's missing, um, it affects the whole body. Amen. Anything else? Brother Mike, you want to lose the prayer? Oh, Tide, www.bridgenc.com or uh, Tide in the back in the back boxes, as well as if you fill out, uh, if you're a new visitor, fill out one of the cards and drop it in the box, please. For you. Always praying for you, darling. Always, always. Let's go to prayer. Lord, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to come in your house, Lord, and come and worship, Lord, and to come and lift up your name, Lord, and we send up our petitions before you, Lord, and we ask that you honor him, Lord, that you comfort those that need it and heal those that need a healing, Lord, and we want to just now, right now, I ask you to be with the pastor as he comes and bring the word, Lord, and just show us how to be the stewards that you want us to be in your body, Lord, and in your service. In Christ's name, amen.
Okay. All right. We're so glad that you've chosen to join with us in worship this morning. So thankful for those of you who are joining with us online. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the 95th Psalm, Psalm number 95. The subject this morning is quite simply worship. We were created to worship. Not only were we created for the purpose of worship to give God glory. But God has given us ample reasons that we ought to worship Him. Psalm 95, as we read it together this morning, I would like for you to consider as we read it, That this psalm was set aside to sing probably at least two times during the week. Now, you remember in Judaism... The day of worship wasn't our Sunday, the Lord's Day. It was Saturday, the Sabbath. And we believe that this song was written to be sung Friday evening in preparation and anticipation of worship on the Sabbath. It was also probably one of the songs that was sung. Is it sung or sang? I always get, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Called an ascension song. And remember, they didn't have Escalades and Cadillacs and Chevrolets and certainly no Fords when the Old Testament was written. They walked to church. And so as we read this psalm, if you can go back several thousand years with me into history and imagine the people of God on a Sunday morning Ascending the temple to worship. And these would have been the words that they sang. Psalm number 95 in verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise 
to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. You need a reason? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. Why? Because he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now, in the middle of verse number 7, the tone and the tempo changes. We go from worship and wonder to a word of warning. Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Father, we are so thankful for the very privilege to be able to come into the house of our Lord this morning. And Father, we believe that you not only hear but you answer our prayers. Maybe not sometimes in the way that we think you should, but always in the right way, the good way. Father, we pray for those within our church family this morning that are struggling with their physical health. We just learned from this text that you created our bodies. You made us. You gave us life. And so, God, certainly you can sustain it. So we pray that you lay your healing hand on their physical bodies for one reason alone. For your glory. Father, we pray that as we open up this word, that you would be ever so pleased to open up our hearts and our minds. Help us to be receptive to truth. That it would change us from the inside out. God, make us more like Jesus today than what we were yesterday. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen. And amen. Have, have you ever really stopped to contemplate what 
worship really is. What does it look like? Maybe not as much from a human perspective as from God's perspective. This psalm calls our attention to God's perception in regards to worship. There, there's much in the way of confusion. I believe when it comes to worship. In, in fact, we won't turn there, but if we did turn to John chapter number 4, we'll read that Jesus left Galilee and went to a town called Samaria. And there he met a woman by whale. And they had a conversation and in that conversation, the subject of worship came up. She asked Jesus where men ought to worship. Jesus responds to her in answering her question. Listen how he answers it. You know not what you worship. How can you know how to worship if you don't even know who to worship? He says the time comes or the hour comes and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We have to be careful that we don't isolate spiritual worship, separating it from scriptural worship. According to Jesus, the two go hand in hand. The spirit of worship is the spirit of truth. Now, in many religions and even amongst evangelical Christianity, there is a tendency for people to practice pagan worship even in the church. What I mean is, if you've ever watched Hindus worship, they practice what's called Transcendental meditation. It's the disengaging of the mind in order to worship. But, but, but according to Jesus, your mind is required in worship. Worship isn't disconnecting with reason. And logic. That leads to sensationalism. Experientialism. So if we want to learn about worship. 
Well, then we ought to just get God's perspective. How about that? And he gives it to us right here in our text. The, The Bible begins with literally a call to worship. Oh, come are the first two words that we read in the text. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Now, in this phrase, you have first the caller and then the called. I believe we could picture it like this. You have the worship leader calling the congregation. Now, we're not told in this text, like we are many of the Psalms, who God used to pen this song. But we read in Hebrews where I believe the Apostle Paul quotes the latter portion of this psalm and he ascribes it to King David. So most likely it was King David who penned this poem that we just read. So it's David calling the nation of Israel to come and worship. I'm really interested in that word come though. As you study it out in its Hebrew rendering, it's an invitation to another to come to a place where the one calling is near or familiar. That is, when David says to the Israelites, when the Holy Spirit speaks to this text through the pen of David to you and to me, David is saying, come to me and join me in what I'm near to and familiar with. He's our worship leader, as is Tommy and Joe and Adam and Miss Sheila when she's here and and Miss Blair on Sunday morning. They, They gather here early on Sunday morning and they begin preparing and sometimes we call that practice. They're getting ready for worship. This, this past week, I, I came in to the church, and Tommy was the only one that was here. But before I put my key in the lock, I could hear the music going. And I opened the door and came into the church, and there was Tommy on the stage. And he, he wasn't practicing. He was worshiping. He, he was preparing But he was in the midst of worshiping. To to David and to Tommy, worship is near to them. It's something that they're familiar with. 
And I want to ask you this morning, do you find worship that intimate, that close, that near? Are you as familiar as was King David in vision with this thing that we call worship? To David, it was deeply personal. It was David's heart connecting with the heart of God. He didn't show up on Sunday morning with a desire to entertain anybody. He was showing up on Sunday morning for his heart to connect with the heart of God. So it's a call to personal worship. I can't I can't worship for you this morning. And you shouldn't want me to. But Jesus said that if the church doesn't worship, if you and I don't come to that place where David's living, then the rocks will begin to cry out to him. I don't know about you, but I don't want a rock getting the glory or giving the glory that I owe to God. It's personal. It's individual. But then it doesn't stop there because David wasn't content to always worship privately and personally. Boy, I'm glad... I'm so glad that I can worship riding down the road in my truck. In fact, this morning, I walked out the door and I sat there in the front yard and I could hear the birds worshiping. Did you know that the Bible says that, that all of creation, even The heavens declare the handiwork and and the glory of God. And I sit there and I thought to myself, man, if that bird has reason to give song to God this morning, then I got something to sing about. By the way, Jesus did not go to the cross for a bird. We have reason to, to give him glory and to give him praise. And so David, he wasn't content to just sit and worship privately in his front yard. But to David, worship wasn't only private and personal. It had to be public. So he he calls the entire nation of Israel, come, let us, let us sing unto the Lord. I wonder sometimes, do we really do we really have a biblical perspective of worship? Of why it is we gather on Sunday morning from 11 o'clock to about 11.30 in what we call corporate worship. Listen, I'm, I'm not here to make anybody mad or hurt anybody's feelings. But worship is not a spectator sport. It's 
It's the family of God coming together in unison and harmony and with one voice lifting up praise and glory and honor to God. If you don't stand and sing, you'll sit and sour. We, we don't come. Vision didn't come to entertain us. And we should not come to be entertained because worship isn't about us. It's about Him. Amen. Say, well, I don't like the singing. It's not about you. It's about Him. Worship is private but it's got to become public. Did you know that Jesus said, if you are ashamed of him and his words before men, then he'll be ashamed of you before his father and the angels when he comes in his glory. Amen. Don't allow what you think somebody might think about you. To govern and guide how you worship. Say, preacher, I can't sing. That's not what it's about. I can't carry a tune in the bucket, but, but listen to me. I don't want a rock or a bird in the tree or a squirrel climbing a limb to get the glory that God deserves to get from me. Amen. Have you ever wondered how loud it should be? You, you know, I about jumped out of my skin because rather than sit over here where I usually sit, I was running a little bit late just, just meditating on these verses this morning, and I sit right over there, and that big old black guy sitting over there on the wall shouted, Thank you, Jesus! And I about jumped out of my skin. And, and, and there is a crowd. There is a group of people who are uncomfortable with that. You know, they'd make a, they might make a comment under their breath. They'd certainly not say it to his face. Curtis is a big dude. <laughs> There's not any call for that kind of stuff. That's, 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 he needs to be a little more dignified. Can't he sit and worship silently? Well, I, I, don't, I don't care really what you think. I want God's perspective on the matter. Amen. And I understand that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, God breathed it and it flowed through David's pen. I, I just believe that. And so when we have instructions and a call to worship, this ain't coming from David, it's coming from God. Amen. And listen to what God says. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. The word noise is really an interesting word. When we think of the, the word noise, we typically think of any sound, whether it be or... 
But the Hebrew word for this word noise literally carries the idea of a shout. A shout. It's even been defined as the blast of a horn or a trumpet. Think about that for just a moment. God is calling us to worship, and the description of that worship is the sound should be similar to the blast of a horn or a trumpet. And you sit there in little amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rich like me. I'm telling you, God's all right if it gets loud. God's all right, I believe, if you just shout. The word literally carries the idea of a loud shout. Now, now we're talking about singing here, but I do want to go on record as saying your singing shouldn't be a noise. From a human perspective. But it's okay to shout when you're singing. In fact, I believe it's okay to shout anytime. The problem, I believe, is not the volume of our praise. It's the source of it. It's not as much the words as it is the place that the words come from. Because the, the psalmist David not only calls us to shout, to make a noise, but he said it's to be a joyful noise. Some of you too miserable to make a joyful noise. You can make a grumbling, complaining, and griping noise. But what about this joyful noise? Listen, worship should be a joyful experience. Not only from our perspective, but from God's. That, that we, should, we should rejoice in our worship. I believe that worship, for some of us, might look like what we look like at the ball game. Mama shouted out when that baby makes a base hit. Daddy will jump to the rooftops when that boy hits a three-pointer. But then we show up at church on Sunday morning and we talk about the fact that God sent down his son to walk in a robe of flesh and carry our sins to Calvary's cross that he was buried and on the third day he rose again and we sit and we soak and we sour when we ought to shout. Come let us 
make a joyful noise. Now, now, now in order to do that, you've got to change your perspective when it comes to worship. I, what I mean, Miss Joan, is, is to have joy in worship, we got to change our focus. We got to start looking another direction. And God knows how we can become distracted, even in worship. So He tells us where to focus. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So he tells us first that we're to sing not to one another, but to the Lord. The word Lord is, is the same word used interchangeably between the Greek and the Hebrew. The Greek form of the word is kurios. Both words mean the same thing, and it speaks to his supremacy, his sovereignty as creator and sustainer of the universe. We're to sing unto the Lord with one another, but to the Lord. And then when he uses the descriptive term, the rock of our salvation. Now remember, these, this is a, a Jewish audience that David is calling to come and worship. So in their minds, when they hear the word rock... I imagine in their minds, they go back through the Old Testament. From the time of David to the time of Egypt. When God brought his people out of their bondage, their captivity in Egypt, and brought them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness... They're wandering. They will be there. We'll get to that in a minute. For 40 years. And then somebody recognizes, realizes, we didn't bring no canteens. We don't have enough water for this journey. And Moses, our leader, he didn't think this thing out too well. We're in the desert, and we don't have anything to drink. They're parched. No, they're literally dehydrated. In fact, if you go read the account in the book of Numbers, here's what they say to Moses, we're going to die. It would have been better if we'd have died in Egypt. At least there we had some water. Here, you ain't even brought no water. And they begin murmuring and grumbling and complaining and sounding like a bunch of bad. Did I say that out loud? 
if, if, if you don't know I am a Baptist, I can say that because I is one. So, so they're doing all this complaining, and God hears it. And when God hears it, he's not really happy about it. But nevertheless, he addresses it with grace. And he says to Moses, Moses, I want you to take your rod, and I want you to go to the rock. I'm thinking to myself, they're in the desert. And he wants them to find one rock. And when you find that rock, Moses, I want you to speak to it. And then you'll give the people water out of the rock. I don't have time to preach on the... I want to say a whole lot more about that. But nevertheless, God worked a miracle and his people drank water from a rock. Now, now, once again, go back thousands of years. You're wandering in the wilderness. You're parched with thirst to the point that you're literally afraid that you're about to die. I mean, you're past... There's no more sweat coming out of your body. You're weak and you're weary and you're really afraid. And then God gives you water from heaven through a rock. Now, what does that mean for you and for me in, in, in the New Testament? As New Testament believers under the New Covenant, Paul tells us in the New Testament about what happened in the Old Testament. And Paul says that rock is Christ. The water that they drank from the rock came from Christ. In Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, she wants to talk about he don't have enough rope and bucket to get down and get water. And Jesus said, if you knew who you was talking to, you would have asked of me and I'd have given you living water. And then he says, whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him. It'll be a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And listen, why should we worship this morning? If you've drank from the well of Christ, you ought to be shouting the victory today. There was a time when you were wandering in a wilderness of sin with a destiny of death. And God sent you living water. In the person of Christ. Well, maybe it's been a while since you've had a drink. Did you know that the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good? Our focus gets off. It gets shifted 
Man, there's been so much take place in this last year to distract us and to divert our attention away from what's really important. I mean, man, we come to church and we're talking about politics and what's going on in, in, in our culture and what's going on in this city and that city and talking about what's going on with the hospitals and the scientists and, and this pandemic. And if we're not careful, we've missed Christ in the middle of worship. So there's a call to worship, and, and some of you still just can't seem to get excited. So not only does David call us to worship, but in case we're having a difficult time with it, he calls us to reclaim our wonder, to rejoice in our worship. But in order to do that, you have to reclaim your wonder. Let us come before his presence. Boy, I could just stop right there and preach the rest of this message in an, an entire series. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his, look at me, in his hands. In the Lord's hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hand formed the dry land. Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. Lord, there's no way to exhaust that this morning. But in case you hear David speaking to you. And you're having a difficult time getting in this groove of worship. He gives us some reasons. He says, remember, when you come to public worship, you're not coming to gather with the public. You're coming to gather in the presence of God. Did, did you notice that in the text? Let us come before his presence. Wh whose presence? Wow. His presence. That, that when I left the house this morning, my plan should have been to encounter the very presence of the creator of the entire universe. That when we show up at church, we can count on him being here. David wants us to understand that though we can't see him, he's here. But because he's he set aside this place specifically to meet with his people publicly. He can meet you in your truck privately, 
But he set this place aside to meet his people together publicly. Now, David's mind, when he thinks about coming into corporate worship, they don't even have a building. The temple's not been built yet. If you remember, it wasn't built until Solomon, his son, sat on the throne of Israel and then built the first temple. David's idea of church was the people wandering through the wilderness and every time they made a move, they had to pack their building up. It was a tabernacle. It was a a tent. And wherever the people of God went, the house of God went with them. Now I think about just to have an outdoor service around here. It's a lot of work. I mean, you got to get some kind of trailer or stage or something set up outside. These guys, our audio and video team, will come in the, the, the day before and start moving stuff and unplugging this and unplugging that and plugging this up. Listen, to me, it was no easier for them. They didn't have the pop-up tents like we got today. No, they, they had to build this thing every time they pulled up on a worship site. And their expectation was that when they went into the tabernacle behind the veil of the temple, God would come down. That he would meet his people over the mercy seat in the temple. Now when the New Testament, I'm I'm sorry, when Solomon does take the throne and does build the temple, we're given a picture of what it looked like on the dedication day. And they begin to make their offering and their sacrifices and their prayers. And the Bible says the Shekinah glory of God came down in that place in such a way that the priests could not even stand up to minister. God was so thick up in the building that they had to carry the service outside. I wonder, do we understand that the same God that sat down in the tabernacle is the same God that sat down in Solomon's temple and is the same God that sits down in the sanctuary here at the bridge on Sunday morning. We come into his presence with What do you have to be thankful for? Well, we could all just thank God we're not where Miss Sheila is this morning. We're not laying somewhere in a hospital. We could all just go ahead and give him some praise this morning because he's here. We could give him some praise this morning because he woke us up. We could give him some praise this morning that we were able to get out of the bed. I say it's worth a shout this morning that we were able to get in our vehicle and make it to church. I say we ought to give him some glory this morning that when we got here, he was here. Don't ever lose the awe of the presence of God. We ought to be excited 
to come to the house of God on Sunday morning just because we're coming with an expectation that God's going to be here when we get here. But, but he doesn't stop there. He says, for the Lord... Is a great God. We don't have an adequate English word to replace that word great in the Bible. I think the closest thing that we've had to it, we've worn it out, using it on everything that is not really what we call it. And that is the word awesome. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a great God. Hey, could I just say this? If we had no other reason in the text to show up and give him a shout on Sunday morning, just the fact that God is who he says he is is reason enough. Because God's God. And, and, and he's a great God and a great king above all gods. Listen to this. Boy, I really like this. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. And the strength of the hills is his also. Now, now we have a hymn that we used to sing in church a long, long time ago. And it's entitled, God on the Mountain is God in the Valley. And I think that's what the psalmist has in mind when he pens these words. He's God in the deepest places of this planet. And he's God on the tip tops of the highest mountain that we can climb. God is there. He's with us. No matter how low we are or how high we get, you can find God. Now we're all familiar with valleys and mountaintops, are we not? We've been in a valley in America for a while. Matter of fact, the whole globe has been in the valley for a while. And, and li listen, it's amazing what you can get comfortable with down in the valley. I mean, things that used to shock us, surprise us. Knock us to our backside. Don't seem to bother us too bad anymore. Because we've become comfortable in the valley. But I want you to know that no matter how bad it gets in the valley, you can have victory in the valley. I think it's interesting that when we read one of David's life stories... One of his greatest achievements, accomplishments, does not happen on a mountaintop. It happens down in a valley. In fact, the entire nation of Israel, all of Israel's most valiant warriors are standing on a mountaintop. And they're being taunted by Goliath or a devil in the valley. 
until David shows up. And David intentionally leaves the mountaintop because he understands that in God's economy, some things cannot be accomplished on the mountaintop. You've got to go to the valley sometimes to get the victory. And I'm satisfied that sometimes God will take you to a valley to show you who is the victor in your valley. You see, David did not go down into the valley with his shoulders thrown back and his head held high talking about how bad he was. No, he said, today the Lord will deliver you into my hand. It wasn't about the, the five smooth stones. It was the fact that Jesus was in the valley. The God on the mountain is still God in the valley. The God of the day is God in the night. When things go wrong, you know he'll make them right because the God of the valley, the God of the day, He's still God in the night. I've got to move on. I'm out of time already. The Bible says in verse number 5, The sea is His, and He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Recapturing, reclaiming our wonder. It would help us to remember just how powerful God is. David says the sea belongs to God. And then he tells us why. Because he made it. His hand formed the dry land or the earth. Have you ever stopped to think about that for just a moment? That God created the sea and the earth. Now, if, if you read the book of Colossians in chapter number 1, you'll find that Paul pins to the church at Colossae that all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him. That without him, there was not anything made. So when you look up into the stars... On a star-lit night. It's proof positive that there was a creator. An intelligent designer. To put creation together. And according to Colossians. 
even those stars hang in their perspective place because God put them there and said so. Now we learned, Joel, that God created everything out of nothing in the book of Genesis chapter number 1. The first thing that we're taught about God is the first thing universities try to dismiss. And that is God created the universe. Imagine with me, if you will, if an airplane, a commercial jet, were to fly from where I'm standing around our planet and land where I'm standing, it would take approximately 51 hours. Now think about that for just a moment. God created this. But to put it a little more into perspective, if you were to look at the biggest star just that we know of and have been able to guesstimate if that same airplane took off at point A, flew around that star, Canimus Major, and back to point A where it left at, it'd take a little more than 51 hours. Scientists believe it would take 1,100 years. And according to my Bible, in one day, God breathed that star and every star that there is out of his mouth. With a word, God created it all. And that ought to fill us with a wonder of worship. When you look out across the ocean and contemplate the greatness of the sea, it ought to fill you, inspire you with wonder and amazement. That when you consider the beauty of the creation that we know, it ought to fill you with wonder that inspires you to worship. And if that weren't enough, David says, I want to tell you one more thing. And I know I'm out of time, but, but you need to get a hold of this. The sea is his because he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come. I like that, don't you? Oh, come. I think he's trying to say, wake up, church! Oh, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. Here it is. Our maker. Can you imagine 
the creator and sustainer of the entire cosmos made you and made you and made you. Jeremiah said before, he told Jeremiah that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. No wonder David looked at all of the vastness of the universe and came to the conclusion, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Are you looking for defects? Oh, I don't like my nose. My ears are too little or too big. No, 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 no. You're missing it. You're missing the masterpiece. Because God made you exactly like you are. God formed you and fashioned you according to His purpose and for a spectacular plan. David, that ought to, that ought to fill our hearts with, with wonder. As vast as the universe is and, and God made a little speck like you and like me and declared, Miss Joan, that is the apple of my eye. I got to be done. But we can't miss that last word. We'll touch on it briefly. But it may be the most important section of the whole psalm. Today, if you will hear your, his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years was I grieved with this generation. And said, it is a people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, in my anger, that they should not enter in to my rest. David says, you want to be real careful right here. You want to rejoice in your worship. If you're having a difficult time doing that, you need to reclaim your wonder. But in all of your worship, in all of your wonder, you better re-examine your walk. Because now, what changed the tempo is David's not speaking anymore. God is. And he says, when you hear my voice, don't do, don't harden your heart like they did in the day of temptation when they were wandering in the wilderness. Don't provoke me like they did when I tested them in the wilderness. I, I really believe that every Christian is standing right there with the children of Israel in the wilderness in relation to this text. Because where they were standing was right here. That's where they are positionally. God told them to go in and possess the land of Canaan. 
and here's where they're at. And they stopped. God said go, and they said no. God, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll send some scientists out. We'll send some spies and let them spy out the land. And when they come give us a report of what they saw, then we'll decide whether or not we're going to go. You know the story. The spies went out. And what they saw was the land was everything that God said it would be. It was a land where it took two men to carry one bunch of grapes. Have you ever really thought about that? I love me some grapes. On a staff, it took two men to carry them out. That's a great vine, I'm telling you. I just like to bend under it. <laughs> and so the land was, it was a land, the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey. And they acknowledged that. They admitted that, but they said, there's giants in the land. And you see, when we see the giants, when we look at the opposition, when we look at the problem, all we can see is ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. You, you see, there's some problems over there in Canaan that will get stepped on and crushed and will die in Canaan. We're not going. God said go, and they said no. In essence, here's what happened, Rory. God told them to walk by faith. And they said, no, we're going to walk by sight. God told them to make their decisions based on faith. And they said, nope, we're going to operate according to fear. God said, okay, you don't want to go? Then what you've got is the best you're ever going to get. And they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Could have been eating grapes size of basketballs. And they're 40 years choking on desert dust. 40 years in the desert when they could have been living in the promised land. And that entire generation, God said, I will not allow you to enter in to my rest. What's the rest? Canaan, the promised land. God says, you, you missed your opportunity. You can't go in. I'll bring up another generation. They'll walk by faith and not by sight. They'll make their decisions based on what they believe rather than what they've heard. And an entire generation dies in the wilderness. Now here's the sobering reality. Is the wilderness is a type of this world. Canaan, the promised land, is a type, a picture of heaven. And God's saying to us through the pen of David... Don't harden your heart. When you hear my voice, don't choose fear over faith. When I tell you to go, you go. What I tell you to do, you do. And, and so I just want to conclude really with one question this morning. When's the last time God spoke to you through his word? Because that's how we hear his voice in the New Testament. When is the last time God spoke personally and individually to Joel? 
Miss Susan, when's the last time God spoke to you directly? Could I suggest to you that if you've heard from his word this morning, you've heard from heaven? So the question is, what are you going to do with it? I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the promised land. I, I want to walk by faith and not by sight. And I'm certain, I'm just as sure as I'm standing where I'm standing, that when Jesus steps out on the clouds of glory, when he calls his church home, I'm leaving this place. I'm crossing Jordan. I'm going to glory. And yet, Scripture tells me, as sure as I am, to examine myself. Whether or not I be in the faith. We stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask vision to come. I, I think that the entire church service should be a worship service. Amen? Amen. Especially. Especially when God gives us an opportunity, the privilege to respond to his word. I skipped this portion of that text on purpose for this very moment right here. David said, oh, come, let us bow down. Let us bow down before the Lord, our maker. You see, worship ain't always about this. Sometimes it's about this. Because you see, Joel, to truly appreciate who he is, I need to be reminded who I am. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Scripture teaches us to humble ourselves before God. And he will exalt us in due season. And can I just say, if you choose not to humble yourself, God does have a way of humbling you. He's worthy of our worship, He's worthy of our wonder. But he is also worthy of a worthy walk. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to be able to come into your presence today. We, we stand in awe of you. And God, I pray that right now during this time of decision and invitation, that you'd extend a hand of invitation as did David to your people just to find a place in this altar to worship. That you'd receive the glory that you're so worthy of. Father, I pray for that person this morning that's never been saved, that's never been born again. I pray that right now, right now would be the day of salvation. Now would be the acceptable time. And Father, we will certainly give you the glory for everything that you do. As Joel begins to come.
you're here this morning, if you're joining with us online, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that this morning. That you'd hear Jesus' voice as he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's as simple as that. The people of Peter and Paul's day and time went and asked, what must we do to be saved? And the answer was always the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus and repent of your sins. that's you I'm speaking to this morning that God is tugging at your heart I want you to come just take me or Pastor Joel by the hand and say I need to be saved that's all you need to do we'll take the Bible and show you how you can know when you leave here that you're going to spend eternity in heaven one of these days if you're joining with us online you'll, you'll find our number there on the, the, the website would you please just give one of us a call we'd love nothing more than to have a conversation with you today Friends, family, as we sing, why don't you come and give him some glory?
Thank you for the privilege once again to be able to gather with your people. I love, I love your church. I love your family. But Lord, more than anything, we love you. So Father, we just pray that as we go out into our community this week, wherever our paths may lead us, whether it's work or, Lord, to the beach or Walmart, that the love of Christ be seen in us and through us. Help us to, to represent you well. God, help us that Walmart could be a worship experience. Father, we pray that you just help us to honor you. We know, we know that we're able to come into your presence because you have made a way through your son. So we just worship you and praise you today for loving unlovable people like me, for paying a price that we cannot even begin to fathom to have a relationship with us. And Lord, I ask you to teach us to love each other the way you've loved us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for being with us today.